September, I went hunting up in Alaska with my son-in-law. He lives in Fairbanks, and he's an avid hunter, and he said, why don't you come up here and we'll go moose hunting? Oh, man, I want to kill a moose. Yeah. So my son-in-law that lives in Hawaii, he came over, and, and so myself and him and my Fairbanks, and then his brother-in-law up there went, and we went up, and we drove up north on the, the hall road the that goes clear up to the uh, Purdue Bay in about eight hours, and we got to the Yukon River, and we put his uh, the sled in, the jet sled. We motored up the river about five hours. We had about six 25-gallon uh, barrels of gasoline, and so way up the river we went, and then there was another tributary that came into the Yukon, and we went up that river, and we're way out in the wilds of Alaska, and we sent up a tent with a canvas wall tent, and we took a bunch of food, and it was going to be cool, and we're going to hunt for moose, and I wanted to get a moose really bad. So I watched a bunch of YouTube videos for months on moose hunting, and so I was the world's greatest expert on moose hunting. I learned how to do moose calling and where to do it and, and how to do the rattling and the whole nine yards. I mean, I was set, had a great rifle. And so the first morning, I went out and did some scouting and found a place on the river, and this direction was a huge meadow. It had been formed by beavers who made beaver dams and successive ones, and it was a big meadow, and you could see there was tons of moose sign in there. And this side was the river. Both sides, I could see up a half mile both sides to the river. And so it was a perfect spot I had, and I made a little ground blind there. And so I would go there in the morning, and then I had another spot in the other direction where I did the same thing, similar kind of a setup. And, uh, and then my son-in-laws, they went to a third location. It was an even bigger meadow that was there. And so my spot, I would beat on the log, make it sound like two bulls were fighting because it was in the rut. And then I would do my moose grunt, and I had these binoculars, and I would look out in the meadow for about five minutes looking every place, looking for a big bull moose to sneak up on me. And then I would put the binoculars down, and I would beat on the log some more and make some grunts. And I would turn around, and I would look out up and down the river. Now, I had a grizzly bear tag, and so I was looking down the river uh, as much for a grizzly bear as I was for a moose. And so I looked and I looked, and then I would beat on the log some more and then turn around and look in the meadow, alternate about every five, ten minutes, until about 9.30, then I would walk back to camp about half a mile away, We'd have breakfast, and then I'd go fish. Then later in the afternoon, go back to one of my spots and do the same thing all over again. Get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and, oh, I wanted to hunt. I wanted to kill a moose. And every day that, that it just got, mm, I want to do, I want to kill a moose. I want to kill a moose. So the last day, we've been there nine days. I'm looking out in the meadow with my binoculars, and a moose walks across the river right behind me waiting right over to where I was standing. But I'm looking over in the meadow. Well, my son-in-law is in camp down a half mile. And he looks up the river, and he sees this moose crossing the river right behind me. And he said it was like a 60-inch bull, a huge mammoth, gigantic, fat, half a mile away. He can just see nothing but antlers. And so he's looking at the moose and me, and he realizes, I don't see it. So he hops in his sled. My other son-in-law gets in with him, and they start up towards me, and I hear the motor start, and I look down where they are, and I think, oh, they're coming to pick me up because we're going to leave. But then I realize that Aaron's in the front with his rifle, and I thought, huh. So I turn around and look the other way, and I see this bull moose going in the bushes. All I see is his butt as he goes and disappears. And so Philip comes up and says, did you see that bull? I said, oh, not till the very end. He said, it was right behind you. I said, oh. So 
Somebody asked me this. Is it legal to pray that you kill a bull moose? I don't know, but I do. And I did. And I pled with God. Lord, oh, I want the worst way to kill a bull. Please, please, let me kill. Then it walked right there. It was just, I'm, uh. Lord, you could have just kind of put it in my mind. You could have made him make a noise, something, anything. How come you did that to me? Ah, okay. So we get in the boat, and there's two sleds. My son-in-law's and his brother-in-law's, and we load everything up, the tents, the gear, whole nine yards, and we go down this river, and then we head up the Yukon. You know how brother-in-laws are? They race, compete. Well, there's two sleds. They get to racing, and there's an island, and we went on the left side of the island, and his brother-in-law went on the other side of the island, and there was a big 73-inch bull on that bank. That's the second largest bull killed in Alaska this last year. And the brother-in-law sees it and stops the boat and shoots it. And we come around the island, and there it is, and I get to help skin it, pack it. And I think, so, Lord, why did you do that to me? You know I wanted to kill a moose in the worst way. How come he got the... I mean, he lives up here. He's shot lots of moose. Oh, man, I was so upset. Okay, I got over it. We came home. I went to Nebraska on a deer hunting trip. Trophy whitetail. This was a... I'd kind of been researching. This a rancher. He had 22 head of black Angus. He has 20,000 acres, and he leased another 100,000 hunting rights on it, and he manages it. Only lets 20 hunters a year on it. There's hundreds of deer, literally with trophy, big trophy bucks. And so he drives us out, puts us in a tree stand, me, and there were three of us that went, and I'm up in a tree stand, and I watch as all these deer come out in the morning to eat and feed 100 yards from me, 80 yards from me. I'm shooting with a bow, 50 yards, 60 yards is max for me. And so 80 yards, 100 yards, and I got pictures. There's a huge mammoth, gigantic, and I'm thinking, Lord, you could... Move him just a little closer. Just a little closer. Please, Lord. Well, they'd get up to 70, and then they'd go back away. The skinny little does and the little spike bucks, they'd walk right under me, stand there, taunt me. Cliff, he shot one, my brother, the first day, big one. And he, you know how brothers are? Nah, 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 nah. Kind of like that the whole trip. And so I'm... Pleading, Lord, please, please, I want to kill a buck in the worst way. Big one. I come home with nothing. And uh, so I want, you know, I don't get to preach here very often. Mike does most of the preaching, but he's in Africa, so I get to preach last night and today, and I know, and next week as well. And so I said, oh, Lord, I'm really nervous. I haven't preached much. I'm afraid I'm going to blow it. It's going to be awful. So I prayed and prayed. I prayed for all of you. I studied. I wrote. I wanted to I want to preach a really good sermon this morning, one that will bless you, motivate you, stir you, cause you to get excited about serving, living for God. I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that, really. And you know, the other day we had a fight. Not a big one, just a little one. We don't have big fights anymore. But I got kind of convicted, and I said, Lord, I want... I want. I want to be the world's best husband. I want my wife to be the happiest woman on the planet Earth because of what I do. I want that really bad. So, I want to kill a bull moose. I want to kill a trophy white-tailed buck. I want to preach like mm, Jesus himself. I want to be the world's greatest husband. So, what do you think 
would be the most noble, God-pleasing of those wants. And I have a whole bunch more. That's not all that I want. I want the lot. I drove somebody's pickup the other day. It's a diesel. Ford 250, four-wheel drive. Nice pickup. I don't have a pickup. And I thought, this is, this is a nice I, I'd like a pickup like this. I wonder what Patty would think. I think I'll get a pickup like this. No, I can't, but I want one. So I want a pickup. I want a bull, moose. I would like a big trophy buck. I want to be the world's greatest preacher. I'd like to be the world's greatest husband. And I'm going to go fishing in a week and a half for salmon. I'd love to limit out on salmon. What do you want? So is it wrong to want to kill a bull moose? No. But if it's the number one, then it is. So, key verse, seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will come along behind. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. So inside of me, my soul, my spirit, my mind, there's a whole bunch of wants all mixed up. And what I want is I want the number one desire of my heart to be incredibly pleasing to God. Number one in your notes, we all have many wants in our life. These wants dictate, dictate to us how we spend our time, money, and energy. You are the person that you want to be, that you desire to be. Now, the, the problem is that most of us don't sort through the wants and desires inside of us and say, that's a good one, I'm going to make that one. That's not so good, I think I'll make that fifth in place. We don't do that consciously. We just kind of mix all around, and they're all in there together. Number two, all of our collective wants are ranked in our, in our life. The ones at the top have the most control of our life. Do you know what else I want? <laughs> I want an autopilot for my boat that runs my six-horse outboard motor. Because you know it's kind of a pain. You're running the motor with your hand and controlling the speed, and you've got your downriggers going, and a fish gets on. You've got to turn loose, and, you go, and your boat starts going in a circle. And what would be cool is they make these little autopilots that go on my outboard motor, and you can program it to go wherever you want it to go, and it'll go there. And you can go up here and fish and drink coffee, and it just runs itself. And you can program it with your cell phone. That's the neatest little gadget. Uh, I want one of those. You have one. It's right here in your brain. Your autopilot are the desires of your heart. Those desires control your life. Those desires dictate what you do with your time. Those desires dictate how you spend your money. Those desires dictate how you talk and who your friends are. Everything in your life is controlled by the autopilot that's inside of your soul and your heart and your spirit, which is the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart control you. They control every part of your life. And if you don't control those desires, then your life begins to be one that has a wrong priority. 
Number three, the desires of our life that are the most worldly and selfish seem to float to the top. That's just the nature of desire. The ones that are the most worldly, the less godly, the less noble, they're the ones that just kind of naturally float to the top if you don't control what's going on in your own heart and life. I grew up on a dairy farm, and in the milk house we had a tank. It was a couple thousand gallons. And when we'd milk, the milk would go into the tank, and there was a refrigeration unit, and there was a paddle, and we'd keep it cold, about 34 degrees. Every other day, the milk truck would come, suck it all out the bottom, haul it away, and uh, it, was, it was cool. Now, about an hour before we were finished milking in the evening, Dad would come into the milk house, and he would turn the milk uh, pump paddle off. Refrigeration kept working, but the paddle quit turning. He left it off for about an hour after we finished. So about two hours, the milk sat in the tank with no paddle. And then he would come out with two uh, gallon jugs, and he would scoop the milk off the top and put it in the gallon jar, put the lid on it, and take it in the house. Now, some of you, you, you buy milk that's homogenized. You don't understand the term cream floats to the top. It doesn't make any sense to you. But dairy farmer to non-dairy farmer, cream floats to the top. It's a different color than milk, and you can see it. Now, normally, if you just take regular milk, a Guernsey, our Guernseys were 5% butter fat. They had more than Holsteins, not quite as much as Jersey's, but that's quite a bit. Just the normal milk, there would be about, uh, you know, a fifth of the, of the jar would be cream. But when you turn the paddle off, an hour before you finish and an hour after, then get it, you look at the gallon jar the next morning, it's about two-thirds cream. And so then you scoop all the cream off and you put it in another pitcher. And so we put cream on our cake, we put cream on our peaches, we put cream on our cereal, and every night before we went to bed, Dad would take and scoop out a couple scoops of ice cream and put it in the blender. He'd put a cup of sugar in there, two eggs, and then he would fill it up with cream. Man, it'd just stop your heart looking at it. It was the best thing on the planet Earth. Guernsey cream tastes so good. And so we would, as a family, drink about a gallon of cream a day. Like a gallon, yeah. We put it on everything. It's delicious. Floats to the top. In your brain, in your heart, in your soul, the worldly desires float to the top. If you don't turn the paddle on and stir it up, that's what's there. That controls your life. It controls your desires. It controls your spending. Every area of your life is controlled by the desires that have floated to the top. Number four, when that happens, we're basically useless to God. When the desires of your heart are the uh, worldly desires, I'd sure like a new pickup. I'd sure like to kill a bull moose. I'd sure like a new job. I'd sure like a better house. Now, those desires in and of themselves are not wrong. There's nothing sinful and now they're at the top. And, and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It simply means that you're useless, good for nothing, as far as God is concerned, doing that which matters to the kingdom, doing His work, accomplishing things that change the lives of people. Everything that God does in the lives of other people, He does through people. He does through us. We are His hands, His feet, His mouth. God does His work through us. But there are two kinds of people in his family, those who are useful, those who are useless, those who are good, those who are good for nothing. That doesn't mean you're bad. It just means you're good for nothing. And so as you sit here this morning, you have on your forehead the word useful. 
or useless. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, Paul's talking to Timothy, who is a protege of his. He's training him to be a pastor. And he says, In God's house there are gold vessels, silver vessels, wood vessels, earthenware vessels. These vessels are the ones that are for honorable use. These vessels are the ones you feed the dog out of. You put the garbage in. Some to honor, he says, some to dishonor. And he goes on and said, If a man cleanses himself from these things, the stuff that's in the world, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Prepared for every good work. Hebrews chapter 3 talks about those who are in and of the world in the sense of the desires of their heart. And the word is they are worthless for any good work. Worthless. So, what do you think about you? What's at the top? What consumes your thinking, drives your life? Uh, Are you useful for God or useless? based on the desires of your heart. So the admonition is seek first the things of the kingdom of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Set your mind on. That's a choice you make. So it takes a little reflection. What do you think about most of the time? And then you choose to think differently than that. You reflect. You examine. Ask yourself the question, have I done anything for God that's useful, that accomplishes His will, that changes the world, changes lives of people? Have I done anything for God that when I get there, it's going to be there with, waiting for me? Or am I just, you know, doing what everybody else does, buying houses, going to work, mowing my lawn, feeding my dog, shooting a deer? What do I do that matters, really? That happens because you're useful, because the desires of your heart the ones that you choose to set your mind on, to think about, that control you, that govern you, are noble, godly, pleasing to him. And you don't have a... I mean, I'm going to kill me a bull moose one of these days, but I'm not going to keep, let that stay at the top. I'm going to keep it down there a ways and keep the noble ones at the top. First John 2.15, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When I was 12, uh, 13, I wanted a hunting dog, one that would chase a coon up a tree. And so I started checking, looking, asking, working, saving, and I bought me a hunting dog. His name was Luther. And so I was so excited, I had my own dog. So I got my gun, and I turned Luther loose, and I'm going to go down to the creek and see if we can find us a coon. And when I got the gun out, Luther went under the house. I couldn't get him out. Dad says, "Uh uh-oh, you bought a dog that's gun-shy. Then he said this, he's useless. So we changed his name from Luther to useless. He's a dog, but he was good for nothing. I sold him. We didn't sell him with the name useless. We sold him with the name Luther. And so I figured somebody sold me a useless dog. I'll sell one to someone else. They didn't buy him as a hunting dog. They just bought him as a dog. You know, just do nothing kind of a dog. A useless dog. He was a good useless dog. Good for nothing. Um, So you have a name on your forehead that God's put there that says worth 
while worthless, useful, useless, good for every good work, good for nothing. And it's not that you're bad. It's not that you're sinful. It's simply that you set your mind in the things of this world, the things you see, the things that everybody around you own. And those are the things that consume your thinking so they control your life and they make you useless to God for doing the work of God. Doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. Simply means you won't do anything with your life that matters. Set your mind, that's a choice you make, on the things above. You choose what's important, what are the desires of your heart and life. So I was struggling back when I was farming about whether to leave the farm and come pastor or stay and farm. I, I just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So I made an appointment with a missionary that was at the Philippines, and he came home periodically, and he was home, and I greatly admired him. And I uh, went out to lunch with him, and I said, here's, and I explained the whole situation, and he said this to me. He said, get close to God and do what you want. I said, that's not right. I don't want to do what I want. I want to do what God wants. He said, get close to God, do what you want, because if you get close to God, what you want will be what God wants, because what he wants, he puts in your heart. You will know the will of God by simply asking yourself, what are the desires of my heart? Now, that doesn't work if you're worldly. You won't know the will of God no matter what you do if that's the case. But God puts his will in your heart, and you will know his will if you make him first place in your life. James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Luke 8.14, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, they've heard the gospel, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, bring no fruit, no fruit. They don't do anything that really matters, that makes a difference, nothing for the kingdom of heaven, no fruit to maturity. Number five in your notes, when our desires are God's desires, he will give them to us. When what I want more than anything else in life is what he wants me to do and he put it there, then he will grant it to me. So that's the trick. God's desires are in me right now, and they're all mixed up with all the things that come into my head and heart from what I see around me. And so I have to learn how to set my mind on the things above, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything falls into place. And if I'm not disciplined in what I think and what I want, like cream on milk, the worldly stuff will always rise to the top unless we discipline ourselves. Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and the desires that he has for us will be the ones at the top. And so he grants them to us. So, you're sleeping tonight, all of a sudden you wake up, and there's an angel standing at the foot of your bed. And he says to you, I've been sent to you from God. 
You know, it's just like in the book of Daniel. Except for Daniel, he said, highly favored one. I don't know if they'll say that to you or not. <laughs> highly favored one. Whatever you want right now, tell me what it is. And God will give it to you. What would you say? Would you say, oh, man, I don't know. How about, can you come back in an hour and let me think about that one? In the Old Testament, that's what happened to Samuel. Excuse me, Solomon. God came and said, what do you want? And he said, I want wisdom so I know what to do, how to lead, because you've made me king over the greatest nation in the world. And I'm just a kid, and I don't know what to do, and I'm stupid. Please grant me the wisdom to know and how to rule. Second Chronicles 1.11, God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, in mind, that's what was first, did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted, granted to you. Um, so if you come back next week, I'm going to share with you some tools that are available to us as a gift from God, simple, easy-to-use tools that will keep the right desires at the forefront of your thinking and the worldly desires, not the bad ones, but just the ones that aren't uh, going to drive you to serving God down. There's some simple basic tools that you can put all this into practice and make it happen. Now, if you don't want it to happen, you don't care if it happens, it doesn't matter. But if you truly want to be an instrument of righteousness, useful to God, prepared for every good work, if you would really like to look backwards on your life and see a big wake of things that you've accomplished and done that make a huge difference forever and ever and ever, that have changed the lives of people, if you'd like to live a life that really, truly is accomplishing the will of God, it's a simple matter of what you think about. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has nothing to do with your good looks. It has nothing to do with your education. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you can sing or can't or preach or nothing. All it cares is what's at the top, what's first. That's what dictates whether you're useful to God, prepared for every good work. I played basketball in high school and college, and... Uh, if you totaled up the amount of times I was actually in a game, it probably was uh, about five minutes. I always hoped that we would get 50 points ahead, then I would get to go in. I would look down at the coach and say, Coach, you are stupid. And I, I just thought it, didn't say it. You don't recognize talent when you see it. Put me in, coach. He never did. Uh, so what does that matter? It doesn't. But what does matter? God puts us, each of us, in the game or puts us on the bench. He gives us something to do that matters, that makes a huge difference, or he keeps us on the bench. We are useful or useless, depending not on whether we're bad, but whether we're worldly. If we seek first the kingdom and the things in it, if we set our mind on the things above, we're useful to the master, prepared for every good work. But if we're consumed with all the stuff we see with our eyes, the things that everybody else wants, then we're useless, good for nothing. And we accomplish nothing with our life. I choose, you choose. We decide, each of us, uh, whether we accomplish anything that matters or whether we don't. Most don't, but I want to. 
I want to way more than I want to kill a bull moose. I want to do something that matters with my life. I don't have a lot of years left, and so I want to shift it into a higher gear. I want to bear more fruit than I've ever borne in my life. I want that, I want that, I want that, and I'm going to keep that want at the very top. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we each one will think about who we are, where we are, what we've done with our life that matters. We tend to think it's chance, luck, talent, gifts. It isn't. It's simply what we think about. I pray that as we examine our own life and ask ourselves the question, what have I done that matters, that really makes a difference forever, and that we would begin to recognize that we need to set our mind consciously on the things above. We need to seek first the kingdom and you. Then we will be useful, and you will put us in the game. You'll open up doors and give opportunities, and you'll give the resources. You'll give everything, and we'll accomplish great things with our life. That's what we're created for. I pray that we would think about that, meditate on who we are, where we are, what we've done, and why. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.